Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey y'all, thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion of drugging, rape, sexual assault, cult, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, animal abuse, and poisoning, pretty much everything you could possibly find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. In March of 2017, three women filed sexual assault allegations against Danny Masterson, who denied the allegations via his agent. The filing triggered an LAPD investigation, and in December of 2017, a fourth victim came forward with allegations. A few weeks later, a fifth victim came forward with allegations. Masterson was able to escape justice for years by hiding behind the rules and or laws of the Church of Scientology. Eventually, though, he was brought to trial and found guilty of rape and given 30 years to life in prison. Hey, you guys, welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm -mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences and opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our 
entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. Okay, you guys. So part two, this is part two of two. So last week or just five minutes ago, depending on when you're listening to this, we did part one. If you didn't listen to that then or watch that, you'll be a little confused because we're going over the case in that episode. And then this episode is going to be more about Scientology, the laws, the environment in which these women were and what they were kind of fighting against just to get their stories heard and all these things. And we do want to give a hey girl thanks to Mark for writing this one up. Yes, thank you. And then Tori, you have to thank your own self. (laughs) Thank you so much to me for, um, uh, I guess, kind of inadvertently suggesting this. I just found the news to be very like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And then it has turned into an episode, which I am glad we're talking about. So again, can't stress it enough and I can't thank myself enough. Thank you. Yeah. Is When does your thank you card get in the mail to you? Gosh, I don't know. I should be getting it any day now. Okay, good, good. Yeah, just let us know. You know how the post office is. No, I'm kidding. Well, yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about the Church of Scientology. We're going to talk about some of their beliefs and practices. However, this is like a one-hour podcast, okay? We can't go into everything. Like, there's so many things out there that talk about the church and the actions they've taken in the past and the present. And we already talk too much as is. Exactly. Yeah. So all of that is to say we are just covering what we would call like the basics, you know, just kind of a general overview. And again, these are things that we are reading hearing, watching, whatever. So we're kind of putting, condensing some of that information down. And of course, you know, feel free to do your own research, form your own opinions about any of this. But this is just what we're hearing, reading, whatever. We're putting it all together for you. All right. So there is a YouTube channel called Growing Up in Scientology, and it's hosted by Aaron Smith-Levin, who was a Scientologist for many years. Um, And he says that in like a lot of videos. He's like, I don't know how this works. I grew up in a cult. Like he says that a lot, you know, about court proceedings and stuff like that. But he's now an advocate for those who are leaving the church. And during the trial, he did recaps every day, sometimes more than once a day, because, you know, they would have like the morning session of court, they'd get out for lunch and then the afternoon session. So he would do like a small recap at lunch and then he'd come back and do like an extensive recap or something. Yeah, like a bigger one. And I'm sure that you've watched every single one. Torella has been so immersed in this case, but also, I mean, specifically the trial. Um, Torella loves a good trial. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting. And like just learning all the different ins and outs of like why this is admissible here or why did they do it this way or why is it, you know, I don't know. I'm just like really interested in all that, like the the processes and the proceedings and motions and all that kind of stuff too. 
So if you want more information about Scientology or even this case, I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're not going day by day by day by day. By day. Amen. On, you know, the trial. Again, we're doing kind of a, an overview. Um, but he also does interviews with people on his channel um, who have left the church they detail their own experiences. They talk about harassment that they claim to have been put through and other methods of intimidation and abuse that also the victims in this case allege. So, you know, there seems to be at least more than one person or people who say they've experienced the same kind of abuse from the church, especially if they have left. And I think that the thought that you were going to finish was, if you want to learn more about it, we will link his channel. Yes, I was going to check out his channel. Yes. Yes. Okay. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. All right, so let's talk about what the Church of Scientology is and its foundation set in place by L. Ron Hubbard. Scientology describes itself as a religion, and at the core is a belief that each human has a reactive mind that responds to life's traumas. Those experiences can cloud the analytic mind and keep people from experiencing reality. So the rules or laws or whatever you want to call them were created by L. Ron Hubbard, who in the 50s was a science fiction writer. I, my beliefs and opinions, I don't think that he ever stopped writing science fiction, if you know what I'm saying. It's, yeah, it's interesting because he wrote science fiction and then he named a religion Scientology, but that part's true. Well, it wasn't science fictiontology. Well, that's okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. As with any religion, the church's members have grown and shrunk, but the general public mostly knows or hears about Scientology because of the seemingly large number of celebrities that are members of the church. And we all know, you know, the big names that have been associated with Scientology, Tom Cruise, John Travolta, Elizabeth Moss from The Handmaid's Tale. 
Michael Penna, Giovanni Rabisi, Ethan Suppley. The list goes on and on. And they're, you know, we're not saying anything about these people, just, you know, right, wrong, and different doesn't matter. Like they just, they're, they're names that have been associated with it for a long time. And, you know, there are people who have joined the church who, you know, have benefited from the teachings and it's helped their lives. They say, you know, there are plenty of people who feel that it's been beneficial for them. And that's, you know, that's fine. Do what you want to do. Practice what you want to practice as long as you're not hurting other people. That's that's the key. That's it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone probably knows about the South Park episode that explained what Scientologists believe. But if you don't know what it is or haven't seen it, it's literally just like the quickest Google search. But it basically goes over the church believing that an alien ruler captured other aliens and killed them, captured their souls on earth and let them roam free until they attached themselves to mankind, causing all kinds of negativity in our lives. Sorry. Yeah. It's sounds like a comic book. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because L. Ron Hubbard, when he determined to share this information or whatever, I don't, I don't know what you would I don't know what you would say. Um, Again, he was a science fiction writer. Now we're talking about aliens. Anyway, so he said that this was, what, millions of years ago that this happened? Yes. However, however, everybody dressed just as they did in the 50s. The cars on the road were just like they were in the 50s. This is many, many lifetimes ago, but it mirrored exactly the 1950s decade. And the space planes, don't forget those, they were, I would say, 1950s aeroplanes, probably Pan Am or something, you know? Everything 1950s. Millions of years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Well, 50s are timeless. Well, sure. Okay, yeah. And to be fair, the part they talk about in, you know, this part with aliens and all the things, um, is something that only members learn about when they're in the upper echelon of the church. You have to be a certain level, would you say? Is that maybe oh, the right word? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. gotta be way up there to receive this like locked briefcase full of handwritten documents by L. Ron Hubbard, where he reveals all of these things that like, like if you were just to go ask a regular old member of Scientology, they would be like, Mm-hmm. But if you're up there, you know this part. And, you know, Xenu maybe wouldn't be something that just everybody knows. Right. It's not Zool. Yeah. From Ghostbusters. Xenu with an, with an X. Yes. Like Xenon. Well, space. Xenon is real. Um, okay, so here we are going to go over a couple of things, like just some like language used within the church and some practices. Auditing, very important. Oh my very goodness, yeah. very. It resembles a blend of like confession and therapy and is one of the central practices of Scientology. And it's intended to increase a person's self-knowledge and remove emotional barriers tied to past experiences. And we did talk about auditing a little bit in the last episode, but So an auditor asks the person being audited a series of questions with the aim of discovering subconscious memories. 
the members have to pay for these audits. You think bettering yourself is free? Uh-uh. The yeah, content. It's pretty expensive. It's pretty expensive. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't know if it somebody mentioned that like Tom Cruise had to pay like a thousand dollars every time he got audited, or maybe it was John yeah. Travolta, but you know. Yeah. Um, the contents are said to be confidential, except in some cases where the church has used the information from the sessions to blackmail people who have left the church. Well, I mean, they're confidential if you're not going to be a jerk, right? I didn't want to have to use it, but... I mean, forced my hand. Um, Also, didn't they say... So we watched a documentary... um, Going Clear. Going Clear, yeah. And they talked about these auditing sessions, and one of the ex-members said that basically what would happen is, you know, they would ask all these questions or whatever, and then the auditor would be like, Oh, yes, I see it. Yes, I know this happened and that happened, right? And then these people would be like, yeah, I remember that. And these are memories from their previous lives that now they are internalizing and now recalling memories from. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that happening. And auditing is supposed to, right? Like it's supposed to rid you of these like alien forces, alien spirits that have attached themselves to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yes. It, you, uh, isn't the goal of auditing to then be cleared? Yes, I think so. Um, What did they call these things? There was a word, the alien spirits. Thetas. Thetas or Thetans. Yes. Thetans. Yes. Thetans. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So next is Blow. Blow. Remember from Robin Hood Men in Tights? Oh. (laughs) Don't know. Not Blow. Blow. Um, (laughs) But Blow is to leave the church. Clear basically means that a member has achieved a certain level within the church and is on their way to enlightenment. Dianetics. Hubbard described Dianetics as, quote, a spiritual healing technology. And an, quote, organized science of thought, though it is overwhelmingly seen in the scientific community as a pseudoscience. Suppressive person, this is big. This is used as a catch-all term for uh, the church uses for anyone who is going against the church. Critics, both internal and external, are suppressives. Mm -hmm. And you, um... Not you. If oh, well, yes. If you're deemed you? suppressive, then you become fair game, right? Or it, oh, yeah. then fair game gets enacted. And like we said in the last one, fair game is if somebody is criticizing the church, it's like all is fair in love and war. Like yeah. anything goes, you do whatever, massacre them. Yeah, acquire your target. Um, disconnection. This one is one of the most controversial practices of the church. Basically, if someone has been cut off from the church, you are required to cut all contact and sever all ties with them. This includes friends and family. In some cases, couples have been told to no longer communicate or associate with one another. And if someone is labeled a suppressive, members must shun them. Office of Special Affairs. This is the church's internal police, essentially. They are the ones who investigate anything that needs to be looked into by the church. And this is, you know, they are the ones that carry out the fair game operations that we just talked about. The Sea Org. 
a group within the church, Sea Org members, some of whom are teenagers, sign contracts for up to a billion years of service and are discouraged from having families of their own. The organization has drawn fire for drafting Scientologist children before they are 18 years old, sequestering them from mainstream life and compounds, and according to some ex-members, holding them as prisoners and requiring them to do forced labor. Yeah, there are like organizations out there that help people who leave the church. The word that they use is escape, Mm. some of them. But they help them get like high school diplomas because they're given no education. Like they only learn Scientology stuff. Well, FLDS, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Clearwater, Florida. This is big too. In the mid-1970s, Scientology purchased a building in Clearwater, which was an old hotel. Over the years, the church expanded with its members buying properties on surrounding blocks. In 2017, companies controlled by members began buying retail property at an unprecedented rate and spent close to $103 million. In less than three years, they doubled the footprint the church had in the area. They have the flag building, the largest building in Clearwater covering a city block. And for all intents and purposes, Clearwater serves as a city for Scientologists to go to and not worry about what other people think because they are surrounded by like-minded people. And guys, I can't stress it enough. And please, please, please just understand, this is not a cult. It's not a cult. No. Okay. So now let's talk a little bit about David Miscavige. David Miscavige is the is only the second leader of the church following L. Ron Hubbard. He's the current leader with the title of chairman of the board of the Religious Technology Center. So many words. Assistant cor- to the vice president of the chairman of the board of the Religious exactly. Technology Center. <laughs> a corporation that controls the trademarks and copyrights of Dianetics and Scientology. He was a deputy to founder L. Ron Hubbard when he was a teenager, and he had joined the Sea Org. He worked his way up to the Commodore's Messenger Organization, a group within the Sea Org that carried Hubbard's orders to fellow members. Hubbard suffered a stroke in January of 1986, and he passed away a week later. But don't worry about that, because what actually happened, like you may feel like, oh my, no, he died. That's very sad. He did not die. Okay. His body had become an impediment to his work. So he did what anybody would do to something that is such an impediment. And so he decided to drop the body. Discard it. no longer useful. Yeah, he discarded his body. And so that way he can continue his research on a higher plane of existence. So he's still researching even now. He's been researching this whole time? The whole time? The whole time he was... The whole time? The whole time, still going, man. 37 years of research just without the body. Um, a year after his death, Miss Cabbage was named the chairman of the board. Over the years, he's been investigated countless times by authorities or the FBI, suspected of human trafficking or slavery. He's been the subject of lawsuits involving child abuse, human trafficking, and forced labor. Now, David is married to Shelley Miss Cabbage. Shelly was a member of the Sea Org as well. I thought that they were deterred from having families. That's what I thought too. But maybe they, they weren't in the Sea Org anymore. I don't or know. Maybe it's because David got promoted to vice president of the Yeah. Xenu Alien Thetans. Thetans, yeah. I because I know that Aaron, I 
keep, is it Aaron Smith Levin or Aaron Levin Smith? Anyway, his, whichever order it's in, Aaron Smith Levin. He said that his wife was a member of the Sea Org. Maybe and it's just a f- like, few that they really? choose from the Sea Org where they're like, you can't, I don't, I'm, I am not going to pretend to know. I just, I'm there a are, confused yeah. about that though. Yeah. There are very many intricacies to this religion. Mm-hmm. So Shelley's mother was Mary Florence, went by Flo, Fike Barnett. Flo was a longtime Scientologist, but later in life left the church. When she left though, she took with her confidential copies of what they called upper level documents, meaning they were only supposed to be seen by high ranking officials or members who'd made their way up to various levels of the church and had achieved enlightenment. Why would a religion like want to gatekeep don't you want to give the information to everybody so they can then achieve the stuff they're supposed to achieve? Like, how are you supposed to make any money that way? Well, okay, you're right. You're right. All right. It makes sense. Flo joined the Advanced Ability Center, an independent Scientology organization that was formed by former members who had left the main church. In September of 1985, Flo was found dead at the age of 52. She had a gunshot to her head from a rifle. Her body also had three rifle wounds in her chest. One was a surface wound, one passed through her breast, and the third passed through her left lung and fractured a rib. There were superficial slash wounds on her wrists. During her autopsy, it was noted that the wrist wounds were likely several days old. Her death was ruled as consistent with suicide. And David denied having anything to do with her death, saying it was, quote, a personal tragedy in my family's life. In the company of other witnesses, though, it said that he told them, quote, that bitch got what she deserved. (sighs) In June of 2007, Shelly's dad, Maurice, passed away. Shelly was taken to the funeral on August 1st, 2007, and then taken home. She has not been seen in public since. 2007. In 2006, Shelley and David had been on the Free Winds, a cruise ship that the church owned and operated that served as a home base for the Sea Org. She returned to their home before David did, and people said that she looked visible or that she had visibly changed her mood, and physically she looked cowed, which means intimidated or frightened, apparently. Never heard of such. A church spokesperson said that Shelley had asked him if David was still wearing his wedding band. Shortly after that, Shelley stopped making public appearances with David. And then, as we mentioned, the last time anyone has seen her was at her father's funeral. There have been two missing persons reports filed for Shelley. One of them was reported by actress Leah Remini. And if you don't know, Leah left the church and has spent the years since reporting what she knows about the church and its practices. Leah said that she first really noticed that Shelley had been missing at the wedding of Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. David, who was good friends with Tom Cruise and actually was his best man, was there, of course. And Leah told people in 2015 that throughout the night, she kept asking different attendees, where is Shelley? Where is Shelley? She asked one top church official who responded, quote, I don't think you have the effing rank, quite honestly, to ask where Shelley is. See, and also with the military and the ranking. Rank. Yep. Yep. And wasn't L. Ron Hubbard in the military? Oh, as yes. A young person? Well, and he didn't he tell his wife that he was like this decorated war veteran and like. Yes, but yes. But really, he had 
pink eye and something else, a mild uh-huh. arthritis and pink eye. Oh yeah, that's right. He said that like he had some like near-death experience or something and that's where like the religion stuff kind of came from because mm-hmm. he had some kind of like out-of-body experience or something. And then like, yeah, at the time she believed him and then later she's like, because he said he was like, what, in combat and something happened yeah. or whatever. And then, um, yeah, the only injury he had was pink eye and arthritis. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this man. He also told his wife, who um, he told her the only way to make money is to have a church because you don't have to pay as many taxes or whatever. That's the only way to get rich. Yeah, it's tax-free income. Yep. So anyway, the member Leah asked has denied that this happened, saying that he could, quote, recall observing Miss Remini's repeated rude behavior, which became so blatant it was a topic of dismayed discussion among other guests including friends of Miss Remini. Who talks like that? She pulled that in, didn't she? (sighs) It's obviously something she did. Right. Uh, Leah claimed that as a consequence of her questions, she was subsequently sent to a church facility in Clearwater, Florida, where she underwent a, quote, sec check, truth rundown, and reprogramming which she alleges involved, quote, intensive and exhaustive forms of interrogation that could last up to 12 hours a day. The missing persons case that Leah tried to have open was closed within hours by the LAPD and deemed, quote, unfounded. To this day, the public does not know where Shelley is located, and the church has not commented on her location. Lawyers representing David have said she's not missing at all. She is just devoting her time to the work of the church. <sighs> is that possible? I guess. But I mean, is it, why can't is we get eyes like, on her? Yeah. Why can't we get eyes on her? Why can't, if that many people have asked, you'd think they would have her do some sort of an appearance. Right. But they're not. So like, is it, is it possible that only incredibly high ranking officials have seen her in the last 16 years? Maybe, but is it probable? Because people used to see her all the time before this. Right. I don't know. Leah Remini has been pushing for an investigation into the conflicts of interest relationship between the Church of Scientology and the Hollywood division of the LAPD. I just want to say about like the sec check truth rundown and reprogramming. It just reminds me a lot of like a Cronenberg movie. Oh, yes. Right? Like Existence or something like. Yeah. You got to plug in your bladder with the umbilical cord bladder to your yeah. back b-hole exactly <laughs> and put the chapstick on it <laughs> oh the chapstick is very very important do it first don't Nobody plug that umbilical back b-hole no 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 plug yeah <laughs> so we have briefly gone over the church and some of their rules and practices and to be honest that doesn't even barely scratch the surface we are at the tip of the iceberg here and there are countless stories about things the church has done. And we hope that we've talked about or what we've talked about paints a picture in your mind about what kind of role Scientology could have and most likely did play in the victims reporting what happened. And while it's surely never a straightforward or simple decision, that decision was made even more complicated when the victims took into account what church members might do. They risked being cut off from every one of their family members or friends and being shunned. 
they risked and experienced harassment by members of the church. And well, women... Oh, goodness. Oh, sorry. No, also, like one of the... Um, the victims in the in the trial, she did talk to her family about it at the time that it happened. And, you know, the the defense attorney tried to really harp on that. Well, if you did tell people at the time, then how come nothing happened? Or how come you didn't go any further? How come you didn't go to the police? Whatever. And they actually interviewed or the the family member who she told testified at the trial too. And she said yeah, but you have to remember what we were taught that she pulled that in. So if she says that somebody sexually assaulted her, the first thing that's going to go through my mind at the time is what did she do to deserve it? Because that's what we were taught. So you've got this religion who has formed the complete foundation for abuse in many different ways to occur, proliferate, and then have no consequences in its members who are higher up. And we're talking about, because I'm sure that it is very, very easy over time to become, some might call it brainwashing, some might call it indoctrinated. I don't really know what you want to describe it as. But this religion has been around for long enough to where we've got second generation, third generation Scientologists now. So... Exactly. That's what that's what they've always known. Mm-hmm. And so if that's all you've ever known, I mean, we're covering House of Hammer on Doc Jams and Casey Hammer, Army's aunt, says, you know, I would walk out in my living room in my dad's house and there would be orgies everywhere and drugs all over the place. And my dad always had teenagers all around him as his girlfriends. But that's all I knew. Thought it, it, was it didn't. Yeah, I thought it was normal. I thought that's how all families were, right? Like, exactly. She just didn't know. But like, what they're doing, especially by teaching this whole "you're pulling it in" thing, is setting up for people to be victims of violence mm-hmm. or abuse, and then internalize that as their own fault. And then you've also got rules against reporting them. And then further outside of Scientology, but you've also got the rules against reporting them inside Scientology if they are far enough up, and especially if they're a celebrity. Because yes. celebrities are their bread and butter. Those are their recruiters. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's a complete, it's like a predator's playground. Like you Absolutely. are- Absolutely. It sets it up to, for them to be the only successful. Uh-huh. Yeah, because if you report somebody such as Danny Masterson- and he's got ethics ethics protection, and you do not, then you are thereby forcing an investigation into you. And what do we know they do with the information they uncover with that? They intimidate, they harass, they dox information, that, you know, they do all these things. So it's like, you don't want to take that on. You don't want to put yourself in the middle of that. Sure. It's just... Like put up and shut up, right? Exactly. And we mentioned in part one that Masterson was charged with three counts of rape in June of 2020. And after all of the pretrial hearings and delays, a trial date was set for October of 2022, like we said. And we went over some of the victim's testimonies. And at the end of the nearly month-long trial, Masterson's defense team decided not to have him testify on his own behalf or call any witnesses like Torella had said for the defense. Mm -hmm. And 
Both parties rested their cases on November 14th and made closing statements. The jury deliberated for three days and was deadlocked. And instead of declaring a mistrial, the judge ordered the jury to resume deliberations the week after Thanksgiving. Once the deliberations resumed, though, the jury remained deadlocked deadlocked, and a mistrial was declared on November 30th, 2022. The jury foreman said that the deadlocked jury leaned towards acquitting Masterson on all charges because they found the testimonies of the witnesses inconsistent and implausible. For example, one Jane Doe uh, testified in court that Masterson threatened her with a gun during the attack, but a firearm was not mentioned when she reported to the police. And she said, or he said, excuse me, quote, the big, big problem for her credibility wise was the gun present in the testimony, but not in the early reports. And I will say, so the recaps and everything that I watch are from the second trial. So I know the first trial ended in a mistrial. And so like what I talked about, uh, the defense attorney getting admonished during his opening statements and all that, those are from the second trial. But what also happened in the second trial that counteracted this particular thing, I think the prosecution this time did a better job of explaining why they had that expert witness explain why um, you're not going to necessarily remember every single detail in the beginning and things kind of come to you later as you sort of process you know, it. Sure. Yeah, process it and things like that. And also, they kind of went into how when you're reporting something to the police, how it's very question and answer oriented. So if the if the detective at that initial questioning or report did not ask specifically about a firearm, if they're just asking questions and you are then answering, then maybe some of this information didn't necessarily come up the first time. So I think they did a better job kind of explaining why some of those things happen. They also brought on this particular detective in this situation where she had reported it but did not mention the gun. So it was beautiful because this detective gets on the stand. And he's now a detective. At the time, he was a patrol officer. So he says in his testimony, she came in, wanted to do a report. I know that we had to have been crazy slammed busy that day because I never would have taken a report unless everybody else was so busy they couldn't get to it, right? So that's why I took the report. So right off the bat, you have somebody who maybe doesn't normally take these kinds of reports. You know, I don't know. So anyway, the prosecutor is asking him, because part of what she said was that he like interrupted her when she was speaking and kind of cut her off and didn't let her finish what she was saying sometimes. And so the prosecutor is like, now, if you were doing taking a report like this, would you ever cut off a witness? And like before he finishes the sentence, the guy goes, no, I would never interrupt somebody like that. I would never cut them off. And so the prosecutor is like, can I please finish my question? And he's like, oh, yeah, OK. So. He does it you just even in the it. testimony. <laughs> yeah. And then they ask him, and I can't remember if this is, this might have been the defense asking him this. Would you ever take a report that mentioned, because she said he didn't list the gun, but I told him about it. Like he didn't write it up in his report, but I told him about the gun. So they're like, would you ever take a report like that and not? put in something that they had mentioned? And he's like, no, never. And so, again, I don't remember who asked the question, but they kind of asked it again, like, okay, so there's absolutely no way that a witness would have given you information such as a firearm being present during a sexual assault 
and you would forget to put that in. There's just no way that would happen. And then he says, well, if that did happen, it would have been a brain fart. So you have seen the movie. So see, that helped in the second trial because he basically was like, I interrupt people all the time, even here during sworn testimony. And also, I mean, I don't think I would have done that, but also it could have been a brain fart. Furthermore, they had other officers testify who, like, he took the report. And remember, he doesn't normally do that or whatever. Now he's a detective. Then he wasn't. So he took the report and he filed it, like, took the report as an injury, not as a sexual assault. Those things are handled differently. They're filed differently. They are assigned then to different people, right? So the initial uh, woman who was assigned the case Mm-hmm. is looking over the report and she says, this is supposed to be a sexual assault, but he's got it listed as injury. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So she calls Jane Doe and asks her, is this supposed to be a sexual assault? Because, and she's like, yeah. So she has her come back in and does another interview, like one or two days after the report, which is not normally what you would do because presumably, I guess you would have already had that information. I don't know. Um, But normally you don't have another interview like that right then for whatever reason, she says in her testimony. And so she says, the reason that I even brought her in the second time was because It was clear in the report that it should have been a sexual assault and it was labeled as an injury. And so the defense attorney gets up there and he's like, what you, what I hear you saying is that you brought her in for the second interview just because you wanted to. And then during the course of that second interview, you realize that it was supposed to have been a sexual assault. And she's like, no, the only reason I brought her in for the second interview is because It was very clear that it should have been a sexual assault report, not an injury report. But he kept trying to just these little things. I just don't. And he spent so much time on it. But anyway, like all of those things diminish the credibility of this first officer who says, I never interrupt. I never would have missed a detail in a report. And he also said, as soon as he got on the stand, I don't have any independent recollection of this at all. I can't remember this at all. You put the report in front of me. I can tell you yes or no that I said that in the report. Or that she said that in the report, but I don't mm-hmm. remember it happening. It was 20 years ago. Right. Well, I'm glad that there was a second. I'm glad that it was deadlocked and they got another trial, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know stuff like that. You know that a jury is like, okay, well, but this is why, you know? Yeah. So it is beneficial to have that information because then they can really open up the circumstances under which she reported this. Plus, when she went there to report it, they were so busy that she sat in the waiting room for like five hours to give this report. Goodness gracious. You know, it's just like, there are so many circumstances and the fact that she's like, you know, they are, I am giving them a statement. They are then paraphrasing it back to me in their own words. And I'm saying, sure, yeah, whatever. So then that's where all these inconsistencies that you are talking about are coming from. Right. Because they're repeating it back in their words, not my words. Sure. It's close enough that I'm like, well, if you, that's what you consider that, then sure. Right. You know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So a new trial was held in April and May of 2023. On May 31st, Masterson was convicted of two of the three counts of forcible rape. The jury was hung eight to four in favor of conviction on the third charge. 
Masterson was held without bail until sentencing in the administration or administrative segregation section of Men's Central Jail in LA. In July of 2023, the prosecutor said that they would not retry him on the third charge. When it was time for sentencing, as you might have thought, there were many letters written to the judge on behalf of Masterson from friends and family, many of them Scientologists as well. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are under fire when it came out that they sent letters to the judge. Their letters called him a role model, extraordinarily honest, an exceptional character. Kunis said that Masterson had a, quote, tremendous positive influence on her. Kutcher said, quote, he is among the few people that I would trust to be alone with my son and daughter. That's not a good look, dudes. No, and I remember when this happened. No, I don't remember when the news broke that. I remember their apology video. Mm-hmm. Which was an interesting, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they ended up releasing a video on Instagram when the letters went public. Uh, saying that Masterson's family had asked them to send character letters to the judge, saying, quote, a couple months ago, Danny and his family reached out to us, and they asked us to write character letters to represent the person that we knew for 25 years so that the judge could take that into full consideration relative to the sentencing. Then they went on to say that those letters were only meant for the judge to read. They did not intend them to uh, become public for sure, but they didn't intend that to undermine any of the victim's testimonies from the trial. But at this point, he's been convicted. He is a convicted serial rapist at this point. And not only do you have people testifying the charged counts, you also have at least one other victim coming in and reporting an incident where she was raped Mm-hmm. After a rap party in Toronto in like 2000, 99, 2000, I guess 99 probably, because mm-hmm. it was a rap party of a movie that came out in 2000, I believe. And um, it mirrors the same thing. And like, it's just very interesting because a big part of the case is that Danny Masterson drugged these women before he raped them, right? Well, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher were like, especially Ashton Kutcher, he's the reason I didn't get involved in drugs. You know, like the Hollywood, young Hollywood life, you know, is rife with substance abuse and all that kind of stuff. But he always, you know, was just such a good role model and, you know, always said like, stay away from drugs and everything. And apparently he like famously sat the whole cast down of that 70s show in like 90, what, 7, 98, whatever, when it started. And he basically said, this is a huge opportunity for all of us. And if Mm -hmm. any of you make stupid decisions, like getting involved in drugs or doing stupid shit, and you ruin it for all of us, like, that's not okay. Like, don't make dumb decisions that are going to affect other people. Right. And like, some of them were like, he was so against drugs. Well, Ashton Kutcher said this. He was so against drugs that I was under the impression that if if he found, like if I started doing drugs and he found out about it, that he would no longer be friends with me. And I didn't want to risk losing that friendship. So I stayed away from drugs and blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, maybe he doesn't want to take drugs. I mean, how many like, isn't like the whole thing with like being a drug dealer, like you never get high on your own supply? Like, like I've heard that before. There's a reason for that. But um, that like, there's a reason that, that, that you, is... Uh... Well... Okay, uh, Bill Cosby. 
He was known to drug or alleged to have drugged many, many women and girls for sexual abuse, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he was drugging himself. Right. Why would you? You don't need to drug yourself. No. Like you need somebody else to not be able to say no or to stop a situation from happening if you're a sexual predator. And also, as much time as all these people spent together, remember Luke Watson definitely knew that something was going to happen. So much so that he felt the need to not stop it, but say something. Mm -hmm. So you knew that that was a possibility. You know the reputation that your friend has. And I get, I get that it is hard to have somebody that you know do something like that because, the, sure, that's not the Danny Masterson that Ashton Kutcher knows. Of course it's not. Or even Ashton, he never tried to rape Ashton. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's so easy because, I mean, we talked about, gosh, I cannot remember who we were talking about, but all of his male friends were like, he'd give you the shirt off his back. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We loved him. He's, you know, I've never, ever seen him get violent or angry, aggressive with anybody. And then all of the women who knew him were like, stay away from that guy. Yep. He is a predator. Exactly. Oh, um, fucking Army Hammer. Wasn't it? Yes. Him? Exactly. Uh, no, I'm thinking something It wasn't. Else. It was not. Because it was him. It was the people that he knew were like, oh, yeah, he's into like some very, very sadistic BDSM behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was somebody else. But yeah, exactly. Else. The men, they didn't know that side of him. They didn't have a reason to know that side of him. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not total. I don't, I don't know. I just wonder. I mean, Mila was so young when she started that show. She was 14. Mm-hmm. They were all much older than her. And I mean, I have read again, I don't know if this is true or not, but I have read that it was Danny Masterson's coaxing of Ashton Kutcher to French kiss Mila during a scene that they had. They knew she was 14, you know, because she's supposed to be dating. Well, she lied. on. I think she she forged her. Yes. But I think by that point, once she got the job, they knew. Oh, it came out. Okay. I think so. I don't know. But yeah, I had heard, I've seen her do interviews where she say that she she pretended to be older so she would get the job for sure. sure. Yeah. But like, okay, like maybe he, because she, she talks about him, you know, being like a big brother to her. Like they have this brother-sister relationship. Okay. So then maybe he didn't, like maybe you were too close. Yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe you were so close to everybody in the circle that had he done something to you and you told people they would believe you. Absolutely, yeah. But he's going to choose to assault people who are around the circle. Like peripheral friends mm-hmm. and also maybe, you know, locked into a lengthy relationship with him. hmm hmm And so you're going to believe these people are anyway, your good friend who you've known for 25 years because it, it's just simply not possible. But at this point, he's been convicted. It's not even like he hadn't been convicted yet. He was just on trial. And I also read that when, because as soon as these allegations came out, he got written off the ranch, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Ashton Kutcher is an executive producer of that show. And so he essentially had to fire his friend. And people who work on the show said that when it all came out and the decision was made that they were going to have to write him off the show 
and fire him from it, Ashton Kutcher yelled out in the meeting, that fucking bitch. And he wasn't talking about Danny Masterson. So he's talking about the accuser that went public that made all this happen. And then apparently another reason that they would presumably be pretty pissed about this, just like Danny Masterson predicted in the 90s, don't fuck it up for me because I need this money. Netflix then did not pick up that 70s show, which means they all lost out on a big fuck ton of money. Mm -hmm. They needed that. They were counting on that money to come in because Netflix was going to pick it up. Well, now they're not going to pick it up because he's in it. Right. Like, I don't know. I get that. I get that it's very hard to... Like a hard truth about a good friend of yours, right? And nobody wants it. But is it possible? Yes. Anything is possible because people mm-hmm. are people. Like we all, uh, and the, what Danny Masterson has done, it's not a mistake. It's a choice. It's a choice. Exactly. It's a choice. It's a pattern of behavior that you have created and protected. Yes. But I mean, like, do does anybody want to believe this about a good friend or family member or whoever that you're close to? Does anybody want to believe anything bad about anybody like or anybody that's close to you? No, of course not. But we're all fallible at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. is it's nothing is impossible. I'm sorry. And you no. gotta, sometimes you just have to like just put on your big girl panties and or your your big whoever panties and like fucking deal with it. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the statistics and I don't have it in front of me, I didn't plan on quoting the statistics. So just know that it's close because I don't want any comments like you don't even know the statistic that you this is just spontaneously happening. But if one in four or one in five women have been sexually assaulted in their lifetime, then every single one of us knows somebody who has sexually assaulted another person. Pretty much, right? I mean, you have, like, there's a lot of people out there doing it. Yeah. So the likelihood is that, like, yeah, it sucks. Like you said, I don't want to, like, I wouldn't have thought that about my really good friend. That I've known for 20 plus years or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you don't see every side of that person. Of course you don't. Mm -mm. And I also do believe, though, that at the very least, the men in his life saw enough to know that if some shit like this came out, that it probably was true. Yeah. You know, especially with so many women. Because again, that rate of false reporting is 2 to 8%. Mm-hmm. So if he had only one allegation, you might say, could be, couldn't be, let's investigate it, see what we get out of it. And if there's no evidence, then okay, maybe that was. But you've got enough people coming forward. Again, the Cat Williams quote, people don't say that shit about you for that long and it not be true. Like, exactly. You cannot deny it at the end of the day. No, exactly. Laura Preppen, who is Donna from that 70s show. Is that how you pronounce your last name? I have no idea. How do you say it? I always said prep on, but that feels like press on nails, like prep on nails. I love press on nails. I know you do. Yeah, I'm not sure how to say her name. Hasn't made a public statement about Masterson's conviction and sentencing, but she had dated Masterson's older brother for eight years and was a Scientologist herself for a time. In 2021, she gave an interview where she said that she had left the church five years prior. 
So if there was a relationship between her and Masterson, that probably brought it to an end then. Preppen has said that becoming a mother prompted her to leave the church. She stays out of the spotlight mostly these days, so it's not a surprise that she hasn't made a statement. Topher Grace, who played Eric, also did not make a public statement. Grace left that 70s show in season seven one year before it ended. Rumors swirled that he thought he was better than all the other cast members. He didn't get along with them. But he himself has said he just wasn't into the same things that they were. They would go out and party, and he was just a, you know, boring guy who wanted to stay home. After sentencing, uh, Topher Grace was trending on Twitter, or X, with many headlines reading something to the effect of, quote, for years, Topher Grace was depicted like he was a stuck-up asshole for not being besties with the rest of that 70s show cast. But guess who didn't write a letter in defense of a rapist this year? And while Grace didn't make a statement, his wife did on Instagram, posting a photo of some trees and a blue sky with the following words overlaid on it. Quote, to every rape victim that is re-traumatized by witnessing society debate and focus their attention on what is going to happen to the rapist, I see you. Good for her. And I would imagine she has some information. And even Chrissy um, Bixler, who was Jane Doe number three, especially when this Ashton and Mila stuff come out, came out, she posted a couple of fairly cryptic things directed towards Ashton, like, I know a lot more than you think I know. You don't remember, but I was there for six years. Like, I don't know. She said some stuff. She she definitely made it sound like he knows a lot more than he's letting on. And then there's a whole murder case that Ashton Kutcher was tied to that, oh, like, yeah. we can't even get into. I watched um, that. Uh, what, what was I watching? What was I watching? What was I watching? Rap. I was watching some show and it was that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he... He supposedly had met this girl, was starting, was supposed to pick her up for a date. And when he got there, she was dead, had been stabbed to death, I think. Mm -hmm. But he said at the time that he didn't, he didn't know that she was dead. He just thought she wasn't home. Oh, we covered it. The police or whatever. Did we cover it or did I just watch it? I'm like, no, you just watched it. I just watched it. Okay. And then it's just um, random that I just watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Chrissy says that that night when he got to her house, that Ashton called Danny and was freaking out because he told the police that he, or maybe he said when he got there that he saw, oh yeah, he said he saw something red on the carpet, but thought it was was red wine. Yeah. But people say that he couldn't have seen any part of the scene from standing outside, that he would have had to have gone in the apartment or, or home or whatever it was. And so Chrissy says that he called Danny Masterson that night and got advice from him. And Danny Masterson said, don't even go in there. That's going to tie you to something you don't need to be tied with. Or so, I, I don't know what, sh- what she is alleging that he said, but she says, I know that you called him that night because uh, Ashton Kutcher is alleging that he did not find out that she was dead until it got reported in the news or whatever. And that's when he, he it says was that wine. he called the police to, yeah, to, to let them say, know. hey. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was supposed to go on a date with her that night, whatever. Yeah. I, I the one who called her phone. I showed up at her house. I, you know. Exactly. And Chrissy says, that's curious because you made a pretty panicked phone call to Danny that night when you were supposed to have picked her up. And then you showed up at a party after that, presumably to cover your tracks that you were there. I don't know. Anyway, it's yeah. like a whole fucking thing. Mm-hmm. 
like Grace and Preppen, Wilder, Wilmer, Wilmer Valderrama hasn't made a public statement and did not write a letter to the judge. Also, he's got his own allegations, doesn't he? A Something. lot of stuff there. Yeah, I think there's some scandals going on. Yeah. I don't know what you would want to call it, but yes. He appeared to be the closest to Masterson of all the cast members. When the allegations against Masterson began to surface, it seems that Wilmer pulled back from his friend. While he didn't write a letter or testify on his behalf, Valderrama's name was brought up several times by his former assistant, who wrote a letter on Masterson's behalf saying that Masterson, quote, constantly warned its coworkers like Wilmer and reminded me as a part of the group that we needed to all act like professionals and be good citizens. If one of us gets in trouble or gets caught in the spotlight for something negative, the whole cast and crew would suffer. Put the show first and your coworkers first. Make wise choices. Are we to believe then that because he told them not to make dumb decisions because it would affect everyone around him, that that made him immune to making bad decisions, that it is not possible that he could be just a fucking hypocrite? I mean, that he must be perfect. Yeah, that's what it seems like, because this is being brought up time and time and time and time and time again. Yeah. He hated drugs. Why would he drug somebody? He warned all of us to not make bad decisions and get in trouble because it would affect everybody. Therefore, he could not have done any of this. Oh, yes, he could. Like, they would have done better to just be like, you know. I never knew him to do anything like that. (laughs) Yeah, like when I was around him, I didn't see any of this type of behavior or something like that. And one thing that Ashton Kutcher did say was, I don't believe he is an ongoing threat to society. Like, look, maybe he raped some people before. I'm pretty sure he's not going to rape anybody else. So his daughter really needs her father in her life. And, you know, and you feel awful for his wife and his daughter. It's not fair to put them through this, but it's. But who put them through it? Exactly. Who put them through it? And again, Scientology did, at least in one of the situations, their own investigation and did their own processes that confirm, yes, this happened, but we have settled it Mm -hmm. according to their rules and bylaws and whatever. Right. So it's, I don't really see that it's a question that it happened at this point. I don't know. Uh, More important than any letters or statements on Masterson's behalf were the statements given by the victims of his abuse. Jane Doe 1 closed hers by referring to a report that Masterson himself had written about the night he raped her, saying, quote, This is a report written by Daniel Masterson, signed, dated December 9, 2003. In closing, after he describes what he did to me that night and complained that the condoms were becoming dry, Jesus, that is awful. Uh, He closed with, quote, rape, which I am being accused of as a felony in the state of California and in the United States, punishable for up to a life sentence in prison. Jane Doe 1 is claiming in this report being CC'd to over a dozen people that I have committed a felony. The defendant has been convicted by a jury of his peers. I think I agree with them that, oh, I think I agree with him that life is an appropriate sentence. Thank you. A section of Jane Doe 2's reads, quote, quote, I close now to say I have not in any way ruined your life, nor did I put you in prison. None of the incredibly brave, strong, beautiful women you raped who testified here put you in prison. You, all by yourself, made all of the craven, abominable choices that put you squarely in this seat. 
Exactly. Amen. Chrissy B, quote, after reporting Mr. Masterson to law enforcement, me and my family started being fair game by Scientology, just as they had threatened they would back in 2002. I have been diagnosed with PTSD, general anxiety, and panic disorder. I also developed severe trichotillomania. I haven't been diagnosed as agoraphobic, but I can count on two hands the amount of times I've left my home in the last few years. I have physical health issues. I throw up. I started getting blinding migraines accompanied by visual auras. I go through phases where I have such severe body pains like my nerves and parts of my body are on fire. This and so much more is the life sentence Mr. Masterson and Scientology have given me. That's just awful. And and that's something that we talk about too. You know, family members of victims, survivors, all these people are given a life sentence mm-hmm. with no choice in the matter. Mm-mm. They didn't choose to be victims of sexual assault. Mm-mm. But they get a life sentence. Exactly. Just so frustrating. On September 7th, 2023, Masterson was sentenced to an indefinite period of 30 years to life in prison, which means he will be eligible for parole after serving 25 and a half years, but can be held in prison for life. Masterson's lawyers have said they will appeal the conviction, having found, quote, a number of significant evidentiary and constitutional issues with his convictions. With his conviction and sentencing, the earlier case from August of 2019 is picking up steam again as the victims prepare to do battle against Masterson and the Church of Scientology once more. And I want to add this to your statement about the life sentence for victims and family members and things like that. Their life sentence, the survivors of these rapes, their life sentence started the moment he did it. The second he did it. Danny Mm -hmm. Masterson was walking around free as a fucking bird for a long time. Over 20 years, yep. So almost who's got it? Who got a better uh, a better sentence in this? Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. They've got an additional almost 20 years on him. Yeah. Of their life sentence. Yeah. Also, the Scientology side of it. um, This happened at trial. So Vicky, I don't remember her last name. Starts with a P, I think she is Scientology's lawyer, like head lawyer or something. She's not a Scientologist from what I understand. She just is their lawyer. She showed up to court several times, a bunch of times. And then she kind of stopped showing up to court after that. Anyway, the DA brings up one day in the middle of the trial that it has come to his attention that this Vicky lady has somehow gotten a full and complete copy of the prosecution's discovery in this criminal case. Unredacted information and reports, everything that was shared with the defense somehow made its way to Vicky Scientology. And so she's got all kinds of information, presumably, right? All kinds of information on these women. Mm. And the two main defense lawyers were like, well, I didn't do it and he didn't give it to him. So I don't know how she got it. Like, I have no idea how she would have gotten that. And, um, They were like, you know, that's not that big of a deal. And she probably doesn't really have a a lot of it. It's probably all redacted, like whatever. And so the DA is like, the email I got says that that she has information that is unredacted and complete file. Now, how the hell would she have gotten that? And so there's some 
kerfuffle with that too. Sure. And I don't know what's going to happen, but that makes me really worried for these women. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Because it's already, if it's true, it's already in the wrong hands already. But yeah, that's scary, mm-hmm. scary, scary. And it's not ethical. Like the the judge asked, like, are you guys going to refer this to law enforcement? And the DA said, I'm not sure about that yet. And they said, are you going to um, file a complaint with the Bar Association? And he said, I'm not sure about that yet. So and that was, you know, earlier. So I want to look into that and see if anything has happened with that. But I haven't heard anything. With fair game, I just don't, I don't trust. Exactly. Exactly. Because she's not going to, she's not going to just keep that in her office and not share it with like David Miscavige. I would guarantee not. I don't. Exactly. If you or anyone you know are or have been a victim of sexual abuse, please contact the next, no, Jesus. The National Sexual Assault Hotline for help at 1-800-656-4673. And that is it. Yes. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us, for listening or watching. We appreciate you. We love you. And we will catch you next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, we have just like a super quick little shout out to give to our very good friend, Maddie in... Hey, Maddie. Hi. We love you. Yes, we love you. We're so excited that you are hanging with us every week. And uh, we just want to say we love you. Yes. Thank you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. And we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 